Hello, everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as I was your host, Evan Satter, I'm joined by co-host Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East Satter. You can follow Brennan on Twitter at BrennanClean14. You also follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page on already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support over there is very much appreciated, as always. We're back with you guys for our Monday episode, diving into our awards ceremony for this NBA season. I know we're closing in very quickly now on me today and the preseason starting up, so we're going to be having a lot of Suns content for you coming soon. We're also going to close out the show talking about some Suns pro as well as far as our awards go for that category. But let's dive in, Brent, into our awards predictions for this year for the NBA. And let's start off with the, the big award, MVP. Where do you land? Yeah, for, I mean, anyone who listened to our Friday show, which you definitely should go check out, from our standings breakdown, it won't come as a surprise. Uh, my my top candidate here is Nikola Jokic. I think it works out very nicely in years where the best team has one player who stands out above everyone else, and that's exactly what I'm thinking will happen uh, for Denver this season. I think they'll be a very very good regular season team, and we all know their their north, south, east, and west is all Nikola Jokic. So. He's, he's pretty clearly my number one just from all of the team success and individual value perspective. But obviously, we'll have, we'll have Giannis right up there. But who's, who's yours? It's the same as you. I have Nikola Jokic just because Denver, we both had on the uh, prediction show on Friday that the Nuggets are the one seed in the West. And I think they get rewarded for that. I think Jokic puts up near a triple-double this year, like 22-11-9 or 8 or something like that. I think that's really possible for Nikola Jokic, the most talented team he's ever had around him so far. I think it makes a lot of sense there. I, I put a caveat, though, in my notes that unless James Harden goes for 40 points, he could be the MVP this year. But I really think that it's going to be Nikola Jokic that's going to be holding the trophy at the end of the year if if our predictions from Friday are correct. Yeah, I feel like with, with Giannis, the thing for me is if, if, you, if you're going to win it back-to-back, which we all know he won this year, if you're going to win it back-to-back, you you have to – get better you have to get better as an individual which I I think he could and probably will he's so young still uh you know gets a little bit better as a passer maybe starts to shoot even more than he did last season but your team has to get a lot like you have to give a resounding unequivocal reason to the voters here to to give it to you again we we rarely see back-to-back winners you know Phoenix fans will know that that Steve Nash won it back-to-back but you know, those were some of the most revolutionary teams that the league had ever seen. That's really probably not what we're going to see from Milwaukee this year. So I, I don't think it's going to be him. I think the Lakers and Clippers guys probably cancel each other out a little bit. I think actually number two isn't even Giannis for me or Harden. Number two is probably Joel Embiid for me. I, I think he's probably going to play less minutes this season because of Al Horford being there and Kylo Quinn and the depth they built up this summer. But I think we really could be in for a monster season from him if he is a little healthier and is controlled from a, a role and minute standpoint a little bit more. I think he, I think the 76ers will be a, a very, very good regular season team, and I think he is obviously the best player on their roster. I actually really like that. I think there's a good chance that the 76ers, who we both had as well as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, if Embiid has a monster season like he did last year, there's a good chance he could win MVP or maybe even be the runner-up to Jokic in this scenario. Let me ask you this before we go on to our next category, which would be Defense Player of the Year. This is off the top of the head here, so apologies if I didn't give you a heads up here, Brennan. But if you had to pick one of these big men, Jokic or Embiid, to start a franchise with, who would you take? Embiid. I just can't even begin to explain. I was just about to ask you because this kind of made me think it. I do think I probably uh, – it's not overvalue. It's hard to overvalue a guy like Joel Embiid unless you're just really worried about the injury history. But besides that, I mean, he's really one of the top guys – and will only get better. Uh, 
it's just, I was going to say to you, who's your favorite player to watch in the league? Cause I think really, really, truly mine might be Embiid. that end of year, the end of the year, last year into the playoffs. I know he struggled occasionally with some of those weird sicknesses and, and he was fatigued a lot in the playoffs, but it's crazy the amount of impact he can have in an era where we're starting, where we're supposed to be moving on from these guys. Yeah, it's crazy. And to answer uh, the question I brought up there for me, I would actually go Jokic there just because I'm really worried about the Embiid injury history. I think that should play a, a small factor in here just because I don't know how much Embiid's going to last. Is his prime going to be right now? Like how long is his career actually going to go? And that's the one thing that worries me about Embiid. And the most fun player to watch, I, I think, would actually be a tie. It's so hard between these two guys. I love watching. They're like my league past teams. Maybe Zion enters the discussion here if he's actually a superstar off the bat. But number one A and one B would actually be Jokic for me as well, just because I think a play, a play, like a playmaking center like this is so rare nowadays. I don't know if we're going to see it again like this. It's just such a rare thing to watch. And he's such a fun player to watch from that standpoint. And then one B would be Giannis for me, just because I don't think we've seen a dominant player. It's like we saw against the Suns last year, Brennan, where he, would, I think, he had 10 dunks in a game against the Suns. Like they just couldn't stop him at all. Like, it was just crazy to see like how athletic and fluid he is. And, it takes three steps from half court to make a dunk. It's unreal. Yeah, I think a close, close second behind, maybe not even behind, but in the discussion for me would be Kevin Durant, who I don't, I don't even want to think about. It'll depress me to uh, really dive into the fact that we're not going to get to see him at the peak of his powers for a whole year and may never see him again. It's disappointing to not even throw his name around as we talk about these awards this season, but hopefully – this time next year, we all as fans are are getting a full KD experience once more. But Defensive Player of the Year, I'm not going far away from our last conversation here. I think Giannis will be a contender again. He's a guy I thought a lot about, as well as reigning uh, Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, who is just a beast and, and is not going to slow down anytime soon. But I think it's, it's Embiid for me here defensively. I think the Sixers could be the best defensive team in the league and the best player on the best team just as it is for MVP, I think tends to be part of the calculus here on the defensive end for this award, and, and I have Embiid there. Okay. I actually am going off the beaten path here as far as we've been agreeing a lot, and I think the one player as far as the L.A. teams go, I don't think he's going to have a lot of low management because I think he has a lot to prove this year too, not only the fan base but the front office who trade a lot for him. I think Anthony Davis is defensive player of the year this year. I think he's going to have a monster season next to LeBron James, defensively especially. I think maybe two and a half blocks per game, 20 and 12, something like that, maybe 24 and 12. I think him and LeBron are going to be a really magical combo together. Maybe not this year because they have to get some gelling going, but the year after that and beyond, I think those two guys are going to be really fun to watch. I think Anthony Davis is going to be playing most of the games this year, barring health, that he's going to maybe like 75, 80 games. I think he's going to put up some monster numbers defensively. So I'm going to go Anthony Davis there for defensive player of the year. Yeah, how do you value, because this is part of it with Gobert this year, with their their overall defensive talent maybe ticking down a little bit. Uh, where do you fall with teams that, like guys who are, are kind of picking up a little bit more slack, like this was Giannis last year for the Bucks, who had you know a good defensive system, but it was really engineered around him and they could play guys that aren't elite defenders or guys who are just the anchor of a team that's just top to bottom incredible, kind of like Kawhi and his defensive player of the year season or Andre Iguodala in a similar way when he won it with Denver. Um, which, which do you value more the guy who can pick up for the teammates or the guy who can anchor just an all time great unit? That's, that's tough. I, I think really, I'd probably say the latter there, just I think picking up other guys around him. Cause I think that's a, a rare trait to have. And 
I, I really just think the players like that are just so valuable nowadays, like the Embiid's, the Davis. I, nothing against Rudy Gobert there as a legit anchor of, of his team. But I think that those athletic guys who can really just go out and cover in space, go guard literally one through five if they want to, I think that's just a rare thing. And maybe DeAndre Ayn can eventually do that if he gets his, his mind right defensively and takes a, a leap forward in that category. But I think those types of players, like the, the guys who can play in space at that size are just a – son, I would go over every guy, like an, a, just a true anchor like a Miles Turner or like a Rudy Gobert, so to say. Yeah, Turner is another one here. I think he has a, a sneaky case. He was very, very, very good on defense last year, and the Pacers are a pretty much – a pretty good lock to be a great defensive team year in and year out. But um, yeah, I think that, I think that, that Davis could be a a good candidate in the latter category of the guy who kind of picks up for his teammates. I don't really think LeBron's going to be contributing there really for the rest of his career. He hasn't been a good impactful regular season defender in a while now. Um, But I think there's also enough defensive talent there where they're not just going to fall apart. So being, you know, somewhere in the 10 to 15 range defensively, but having just Davis just having a massive impact on their on-off numbers where the team is really, really good defensively when he's on the court is, is there's definitely a case there. And we've already seen him just rack up blocks and steals like, like it's nothing. Yeah. He's, he's one of those freak athletes when he's fully healthy that when he's going like he is, he's a really fun player to watch. I'm just going to be curious to see how he functions alongside LeBron James in LA. Cause I mean, we were, Saw it from January on last year. He wanted to be in L.A., and he's finally doing that. So it would be curious to see if it pays off for him. But let's go on before we end our segment here, Brennan. Rookie of the year. I think this is an easy one for both of us. I'm going Zion. Yeah, no no question. As long as he can stay healthy, I think the, the award is already his. You know, as, as unfortunate as it is to some of the other rookies who are in for great seasons, I think we'll see a lot of – we really like this this draft class at the top. I think there's reason to believe that some of those guys will – have good seasons. I think RJ Barrett will put up a lot of scoring numbers. I think, you know, guys like Jarrett Culver and John Morant could contribute to um, team success a little bit and, and kind of pick up as role players early on in their career. But I just think it's, it's Zion's award to lose. The, the media is already in love with the guys on national TV on the first night of the season for a team that was bad, bad, bad last year. So uh, I would be dumbfounded I'm I wonder what the odds are honestly in Vegas for this because I would imagine he's just the runaway favorite let me ask you this because I feel like to be honest like we've been following the NBA our entire lives Brennan but I think for the first time since 2003 with LeBron James like the NBA is putting all their eggs in the Zion basket here and I mean we talked about the number one pick last year DeAndre and he only had a one or two game bump for the Suns in primetime and now the Pelicans now have around a double digit primetime game this year which is I find incredible like they're they're really going all in on Zion Williamson right away yeah, I think it just, you know, it's kind of a bigger conversation, but I really just think it speaks to the the media apparatus around the league at this point. It just keeps keeps getting bigger. Um, that's been particularly noticeable over the past few years, even more so than, you know, whatever other trends, you know, LeBron coming in or Kobe or when the big, big markets are good. It really, like, forget all that to me, I think, it's just been over the past few seasons that the league has really understood how to get its product out there. And they're smart. I think people are going to watch Zion no matter how good the Pelicans are. So uh, to circle back to the Vegas odds before we close out this segment, though, Zion f- minus 450. The next highest are Jaw and RJ both tied at plus 450. Ooh. So, yeah, Vegas agrees that there's really no other, <laughs> no other guy in the neighborhood right now. That's a gigantic gap. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. 
And, the, and then after that, they jump another huge gap. Darius Garland's in fourth place here uh, on the Action Network's roundup here, plus 1,000. So the, the, race is, the race is not particularly close, at least at this, part, this point. For the Suns fans out there, is, is Cam Johnson even on that list? Uh, I don't think we want to get into that. No, <laughs> he is not even. Uh, the guys that round out the bottom of it here, Casey Akpala is on this list. Goga wow. Batadze is on this list. Bruno Fernando is on this list. Uh, Fiondu Cabangele is on this list. Cameron Johnson and Ty Jerome are not on this list, unfortunately. But it's just one one book. Maybe maybe if you're really desperate to make yourself a little happier, go go search the internet. I'm sure someone can allow you to bet on Cam Johnson. Yeah, that that would be something to watch for. I mean, if Cam Johnson just does fifty percent three point shooter all year, maybe we'll see. But I, it's it's Zion's to lose. I think it's not even really like a discussion. Zion Williamson, I think, is going to be the guaranteed rookie of the year this year, unless he gets hurt, has a catastrophic injury. Knock on wood. There, I hope that doesn't happen because we all love Zion Williamson. Watching him play at Duke last year. But before we go on to our next segment, diving into our latest awards, I want to tell everyone about Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real time features that always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great credit workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, to get started. All right, Brian, let's dive into the Most Improved Player Award. And this was a fun discussion this time last year. I think it was Pascal Siakam and the guy who took a huge leap in his year two, which is De'Aaron Fox from Sacramento. And they went with Pascal Siakam over Fox. But I think there's a legit debate to be had with those two guys. I'm going with the same kind of theory this year. I think a a second-year player – who takes a huge leap forward in the point guard position. And if you listen to Friday's show, you probably know who this answer is. Most improved player, I'm going with Trey Young. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. I just hate – it is – that's the trend. I just really like – let's say Trey Young eclipses those marks that you had him at on Friday when we talked about the standings. You said, you know, over 25 points a game, something like seven or eight assists. Hawks get a lot better. He's – he makes their offense a lot better when he plays, all that type of stuff. It's still like, would we say he got better? No. I just yeah, that's what's that's what's so kind of obnoxious about this. Or like Pascal Siakam last year. It's like I actually do feel like he he really improved some of the skill elements of his game. He really got better as a ball handler. They could trust him to create offense for himself and for his teammates at a higher level. Became an incredible defensive player, but still like it's kind of the leap you expect from a guy who just started playing basketball, you know, later, a little bit later in his life and went to a small program college and all that stuff. Like that's not a surprise. I really prefer some of the guys who take like a monster leap out of nowhere, but that's not really where this award tends to go. I had a hard time with this one. I always have a hard time. Um, I could see DeJounte Murray was one for me with coming off an injury last year. He was a defensive, all defensive team player and then got hurt and, Maybe if he gets a little better offensively and, and can hold his own big minutes for a good team, that could be a candidate for me. That's probably, that was the one that I kept coming back to, so I'll, I'll go with that one. I like that. I think DeJounte Murray is actually super underrated in league circles because he's like a lockdown defender. But if he gets his offense going alongside DeMar DeRozan, who unfortunately just can't shoot from three anymore, he really doesn't like to shoot from three anyways. I think he could be one of the best players in the Spurs already, which is a lot to say about a guy like Murray. Yeah, I got a couple more for you, though, that just came to mind. So I think Jason Tatum could run away with this if he – because there was just so much negativity around him last year, taking a little bit of a step back. So a third-year guy, not a second-year guy, but still somebody who uh, there's lower expectations on. So if he can surpass that and, and be the player we all thought he would be last year, I think he could get some love here. 
Another one, it's we don't really get we give it to guys who score typically, but Brooklyn, I think if Jared Allen can live up to his potential, another third year player there, if he can become like a, a really dominant defensive player and up his efficiency offensively, uh, get a little stronger and more skilled this summer. Hopefully he took some steps there. I think he's another guy and we could, re- he, he's a guy that I think could actually like demonstrate actual development from a skill standpoint rather than just racking up more stats and in, in bigger minutes. Um, but th- those are a few, what do you think of those? I, I like those. I, I think those actually make a lot of sense. And this actually one just popped in my head too. And this could get some Suns fans riled up here. If Devin Booker averages 28 points per game, Brennan, and the Suns win 35 to 40 games, is he in this discussion? I was actually going to say if we were looking at Suns, I really think DeAndre Ayton could be here. Okay. Probably even more likely to me. I think that that step up from Booker would be there. But, again, kind of another guy where it's like if he does that, I, I wouldn't say he got better. You know, I would just say he continued. Yeah, like he improved but didn't markedly change – everything about his game to become a new type of player. So the most improved would be hard for me. But uh, the way we normally vote on this, I think DeAndre Ayton, we're talking about second-year guys that take a big step up. That's exactly what we're hoping DeAndre Ayton can do. So if he if he gets to be, you know, a 20-12 and 12 type of player, starts stepping out and hitting some threes, dishing, dishing the ball around, steps up on defense, the Suns are better. That, that's, a, that's a candidate right there. I don't, I don't think we should underestimate DeAndre Ayton at all. Yeah, those are definitely the Suns building blocks there, Booker. And it might be if the Suns actually are rapidly improving this year and they prove us all wrong. I know Brent and I had them in the low 30s. If they go high 30s especially, I think they, there could be a debate to be had for either of those guys. But next up on our list here, Coach of the Year. And since he, they're first place in the Western Conference on Friday's show, and we already alluded to it with our MVP prediction, I'm going Mike Malone here, the Nuggets head coach. Yeah, I kind of felt like he should get it last year so or at least had a, a claim to it last year. Uh, who, who won it last season? I can't even remember. Oh yeah, that's that's tough. Oh, it was it was it was Bud. It was Mike Budenholzer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that that one to me is is unlikely to repeat again. We don't really give Coach of the Year to guys back to back either. It's another one where we we kind of wait and see the narrative play out, and then that's who tip who who typically gets rewarded there. So a lot of a lot of teams that figure to be at the top of their respective conferences this season are are past winners so I'm not sure that happens I think I agree with you Mike Malone who's never been who's never won and has shepherded this franchise now from the outside looking in of the playoffs to a a second round of you know seven game series and now could be a one seed that's 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 exactly I think the way that it typically goes I, I don't have a disagreement there Brett Brown would be another one for me if this if the Sixers really do just destroy teams and and march to a top seed in the east or maybe the top overall seed in the league this year you know just because of the crap he went through rebuilding that team and then you know the the noise around him potentially getting fired after their playoff exit last season you know he could be another guy where the narrative shifts his direction what are the odds here i know we're throwing some sun stuff out there here but if the Suns somehow become the eight seed, which I think there's really no chance at this year, especially just how low the West is, does Monty Williams get votes in that situation? I think he could get votes. I think you vote for three in this category, so maybe he gets some third place votes if they really do take an unexpected leap. I just think the impression of the Suns is at a is at such a low, and you got to remember too, like the guys voting on this award, the the media members, and they're not all guys voting on this award are are beat writers and uh, you know people who are based in a certain area and just 
honestly have a familiarity with one situation over another. So if there's voters here who are just so out on the suns, think that it's just a trash organization and haven't paid attention in years and suddenly, you know, they're staying up late some nights to check out what Monty Williams is doing with this team and see the Devin Booker show. I think that that could definitely push, push people to vote for him. I would actually think he could be a pretty strong candidate next season if they do take a step forward. And then, you know, next year we're talking about them as a fringe eight seed candidate. If they were to break through to the playoffs, then, then he's really going to be pretty prominently there for me. But, uh, is there anyone else to you that you think is, is a legit candidate here, coach of the year? Uh, maybe one more for me here, and this might be just this hometown bias on my part, but if Nate McMillan has them as a top three seed in the East without Oladipo the first two months of the season, I could see McMillan getting some votes. Yeah, he got he got votes last year, if I remember right, and he, he definitely deserved them, keeping them afloat in the regular season without their, their best player and with really not a super deep, talented roster, uh, frankly. So uh, he's a good coach. I, I don't, you know, maybe he has to prove himself a little more in the playoffs, but definitely a good coach. and. Uh, somebody who has a little bit of, of a relationship now to Phoenix with Monty coaching under him back in the day. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's, those are some candidates definitely to watch there as far as that goes. I think we're both in agreement though. Like we mentioned, Mike Malone is the early fair for coach of the year, but the final one in the segment here, Brennan, six man of the year, this is kind of turning into a one man award. Now I think since he's on a really, really good team now, Lou Williams is going to get it again. You think so? Yeah. I, I wondered because uh, I actually gave it to, to Montrez Harrell. This, this time, that was my my first thought and the guy I kept coming back to as I trickled down the, the standings. I just feel like he is going to be more necessary to them because they don't really have the center depth and that's already a conversation, a narrative around that team is that they have Iviga Zubats and very little else besides Harrell at center. Not really a guy, any guys you trust to play 35 minutes in a playoff game or anything. Um, so if he can continue to get a, get a little better as a defensive player, as a rim protector, and still be that monster finisher on offense, I actually think he could surpass Lou Will this time. And maybe there's a little bit of voter fatigue there of giving it to Williams. He's won it twice now, three times? Yeah, this might be his fourth or maybe even fifth time if he won it before yeah. his first stint. Yeah, I think, I think that Trez to me stands out a little bit, but at the same time, we talked about what we typically do with these awards. It's, it's usually the scoring guard. So I had a couple other guys. I had Will Barton. If he comes off the bench again for, uh, for the Nuggets, and they're a very, very good team, he could be in that conversation as he was two years ago before struggling with injuries last season. And then um, the other one for me that I thought of as a, a little bit of a wild card, Whoever comes off the bench for the Pelicans, I think it might be Brandon Ingram. If, if Brandon Ingram comes off the bench for the Pelicans and lives up to his potential and just turns into a, a very oversuited sixth man for that team and they're pretty good, I could see him uh, getting it. I just wonder if, if they can actually put him on the bench. That seems kind of silly. Put a number two pick on the bench before you have to make a decision on paying him. No, I think if we're staying on the Pelicans there for a second, I think Ingram will start just because the implications there was contract, what's going to happen after this year. I think J.J. Wright makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I really just don't know what they're going to do with that with that lineup. Um, I kind of feel like my, my, my ideal starting lineup for them would be Holiday, Redick, Ingram, and have Ball come off the bench there, have him kind of turn that second unit into a run and gun, just UCLA three years later type of situation. Um, and then obviously – they're all, they'll mix and match a ton. But, yeah, anyone that is on, is on that bench in, in their backcourt is, is going to be a candidate because their second unit's going to be really fun. 
Yeah, that's for sure. I think the Pelicans, like we mentioned on the Friday show, are going to be one of the more entertaining teams this year. So it wouldn't be a surprise, honestly, but I, I think we both lean in the direction there of the one of those Clippers guys as far as Williams and Harold go. Yep, just, just like last year, that their second unit should be pretty fun. All right, before we close things out, we're going to cycle through some of these same awards, obviously not Coach of the Year or anything like that, but from a Suns perspective. So we will be right back to do that. Before we do, please make sure as we get ready for the season that you are subscribed to our show so you get it straight to your inbox every time we upload a new episode. Stay in touch with everything we do that way. If you're listening on Bright Side of the Sun, if you found us on Twitter, if you are just searching Suns podcasts on some random app and found our show, we appreciate it. But subscribe so you can stay tuned if you like what you're hearing. In the same vein, check out the Locked On NBA National Show to keep up with our season preview coverage from a national perspective. Evan was on there previewing uh, the Suns season with Josh Lloyd, and uh, we're, we're going to be ruffling through, ev- rifling through everything. So uh, go give them the same love. Suns MVP has to be pretty easy, right? It's Devin Booker. I don't, I don't see how the Suns have the season they want to have if he's not the best player. No, I, I agree. This is easy for me as well. Devin Booker, and to make things fun here, Brent, I think we might have done it before in the offseason, but as we get closer, what's your prediction for a stat line? Uh, it is tough. I think, the, I think that the assists will go down. That's the one thing that I, I just feel pretty confident about. I think regardless of how they mix and match, the ball will be out of his hands a little bit more than we've seen since Eric Bledsoe was here two years ago. So I would say five assists. I think he'll go down there. Uh, I'll just say 30 points a game. I don't even care. I'm just doing it. We'll just, we'll throw it out there. I don't think it's the most likely thing in the world, but uh, that's what season predictions are for. So that if it does happen, you can march around and tell everybody you got it right. So I'll say 30 and five. I don't really care about the rebounds. I don't think that's something I, I count on him to be a massive part of. So I'll just say 30 and five. And then I'll say, um, a, I'll say a 58 true shooting again. I, if he gets to 30 points a game on a 60 true shooting, that's, that's like a, a historically good offensive season. That's Steph Curry, Kevin Durant type of uh, range that very few guys have done. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but maybe not this season. No, I, I think you, uh, it's hard to li- really limit them Booker at this point. Cause whatever ceiling we put for him, he just breaks it through. I, I'd say like 27 and six for him and with like a 60 true shooting. Mean, he does get 60 this year. Just, I think he's going to shoot a lot better from three. It's incredible. Like the more I look at his numbers, Brian, he had a 58 true shooting percentage while shooting 32% from three. Like that's just unreal. Like I, I think that, that that's, yeah, I, I, we've talked about it plenty. I just still think it's not getting quite enough notice, even for Suns fans. I forget the national media. They don't need to be looking at that, that specific number. But we talked so much about TJ Warren's shooting percentage at, from three being just such this surprise number. I think that number, when you just look at how much, he, how much better he had to get from two-point range and from the free throw line to, to, counter, to uh, offset the severe downtick he saw from deep to still finish with 58%. Just so everybody's aware, I know that's not a number people are familiar with the range for, but like I said, 60 is like elite. If, if you're at 60 and you take a pretty high volume of shots, you're, you're an elite offensive player. Um, and he was on a putrid team taking way too many shots, taking a lot of bad shots, and still was only 15 point percentage points, or I guess two percentage points, uh, away from 
from being at 60. That's, that's just crazy. So I agree with you. I think it'll be either higher efficiency and maybe not that much of an uptick in pure points or a higher points number and maybe not quite the efficiency. But if he can do both, holy crap, maybe he will get some of these awards we're talking about. Do you think there's a chance if he puts up any of those numbers, I think even 27 on 60 or 30 points per game, I think that puts him in the All-NBA 13 discussion, even if they're not like a 31 team. Like even Bradley Beal last year, he had that discussion for himself there. Yeah, no, team players on bad teams do get all NBA consideration if they're just incredible statistically. So I do think he could be, you know, Carl Towns got it a couple of years ago when they were not very good. I think that was a playoff season, but it wasn't, they were the eighth seed. It's not like they were the, you know, number one seed in the league or anything. So that's definitely possible. Defensive player of the year, I think is going to be an easy one for me too, from a Suns point of view. I think again, if, if the Suns are going to have the year they want to have, I thought about Mikhail Bridges. I just think centers have more of a responsibility and the opportunity for impact on defense. So I am going to go with DeAndre Ayton. Okay. I like it. I think we should expect the leap from Ayton in year two. I'm going to go with the old reliable one here, Mikhail Bridges for defensive player of the year. I think if he plays 30 minutes per game, I think there's a real chance he gets the two steals per game, which is going to be near the top of the NBA. He was top five in deflections last year, I believe, or top seven. And he averaged 1.8 or 1.6 steals per game last year on limited minutes. So if he has like the same minutes or even a higher uptick this year, I think he's going to be a really – like we're going to hear a lot about in NBA league circles by his third season. Like he's a guy to watch for as far as a breakout candidate, maybe in, even like an all-NBA defensive team eventually. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's what I was going to say. Um, I think Aiton to me is the, the, the player who has the, the greatest likelihood of uh, – you know, I guess let me put it this way. He'll, he'll be the main reason the Suns – are good or bad on defense, depending on how he plays. But I think, you know, talking about it from a a national perspective, an awards perspective, uh, Bridges to me actually has a decent shot at making an all defensive team. If the Suns can improve their team defense enough and he really does start to turn some heads. Uh, We saw DeJounte Murray do it. Like I said, um, for most improved, I think Bridges could get some similar attention here in year two. Yeah, I, I think those two players, especially Aiden, if he takes the leap forward, and Mikhail Burris, especially, just his continuity, his, his consistency on defense is going to be something to watch for. But let's transition here now to rookie of the year. I feel like this one's kind of easy, too, because he's going to get the most minutes right away and probably stay that way throughout the season. I'm going to go Cam Johnson. Most improved. Okay. Oh, no. Did you, wait, oh, you said rookie. Rookie. Year, yeah. Rookie Sorry, I was, I was thinking most improved. Um, yeah, rookie of the year, it's, it's, that's, it's the same for me. Um, it's Cam Johnson. I just think he's going to have the most opportunity to show it. I think he he's just the only guy I really see getting major minutes this year. So uh, I'm ready for Jalen McHugh to do it, though. I'm, if, if that happens, it'll be the most fun sun season I can remember if McHugh suddenly is playing. So uh, I, uh, that'll be my quiet hope, but it's, it's obviously not going to happen. I think it's Cam Johnson. Who do you have for most improved, though? Most improved for me, I'm going to go with DeAndre. And I think just him – Taking, I was really thinking about Mikhail here for this category as well. Just I think we're all high on him in, in his year two leap. But I think DeAndre in year two would be more substantial than Mikhail because he's going to be more of a focal point of the team. So I'm going to go like Aiton gets like 20, 20 and 12 in like a block and a half per game. I think that could be a huge year for him and maybe put him in like the top five center category in the NBA already because that's in year two, that's some monster numbers. I think it's certainly possible for a guy like DeAndre Aiton. Yeah, and what's crazy is, I mean, well, team impact and, and if the team can – actually benefit from those numbers and and all of those deeper deeper kind of points about what he does are are for another time but when you talk about just the stats he could pile up and 
how quickly that could happen. It's really not even that. It wouldn't be that surprising. It wouldn't be a a shock if Aiton was to get to 2012 and, and a block and a half. That's not that far away from what he was doing last year. Rebounds, it's like a, a rebound and a half more a night. That's you know three and a half points more and a half of a block more. It's, he's not he's not that far away. So we definitely should kind of be ready for anything statistically when it comes to Aiton. Uh, my guy, actually going to go with Kelly Oubre. Uh, it wouldn't be as an, an improvement from the last 40 games of last year, but just for a full season to pull off what I think he, he is capable of here, uh, he is going to be he's going to be improving a lot over what our perception of him was as a wizard for sure. So just as a little bit of a different one, I think Aiden's probably the, the obvious candidate there. But I think Ubre could be somebody that you know on the out uh, at the other side of the season in next April May where we could really be talking about wow. Ubre took a step forward that I was not expecting. If he does do that, Brent, do you think at that point he'll be entering his final year's contract in 2020, 2021? Do you think there's a possibility? I know, and I thought, I don't think the NBA can do this like as far as extensions early, but do you think if he has a good season this year, it kind of supplants like he's a long-term piece now for this team? Yeah, they can, I, they could extend him. It's just less likely or less common, common, like, like Lou Williams uh, got an extension, kind of a weird one four year 32 or whatever it was in the spring one year, just because uh, they were, and now we know kind of setting the seed, planting the seed for eventually getting sneaking Paul George or, or Kawhi and another star in on a big salary, locking Lou in for a smaller one. So uh, you can't like renego- or renegotiate the terms of a deal and have him make more money or, or less money or anything like that. But I, I do think that they could be, they could start those conversations, even if it's not an extension, like, uh, start those conversations early on what a, a next contract could look like for sure. I think this is obviously a very important season for him, but I guess that kind of rounds us out here. We don't need to do coach of the year. They only have one coach. Yeah. No coach of the year here. I mean, just real quickly, I feel like this is an easy one as well. Six man of the year. I think it's like a Mikhail. Oh or- yeah. Duh. I think it's Tyler Johnson. Oh wow. Okay. I think he's going to be really good. And I think he's going to be really important. I think the way we think about a sixth man is, offensively more than anything I think Mikhail will just be playing so much with the starters I wouldn't be surprised if he starts you know it wouldn't be a shock to me if if Oubre is starting alongside Bridges depending on what happens over the course of the year I think they will tinker with lineups I think you know who knows but I'll go with Tyler Johnson I, I think the 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 way we think of a sixth man being somebody who really plays with the bench unit makes the team better or at least competitive in those stretches where no one is on the court, really, uh, the, the, the pure second unit player to me. And I think that's really a value that Johnson's going to bring. That It's been quite a long time since the Suns had a player who was that impactful off the bench. Even that 13-14 season, it wasn't like they had a, a playmaker that came off the bench for them and, and excelled. That was, you know, P.J. Tucker and... Uh, I guess Gerald Green, like that. The, it's been a, a long time since we've seen the value that can have, and I think we'll definitely see it this year. Before we close out the show, I might as well ask you if he does have a good year, Tyler Johnson. I think he is a player who might not get traded. You know, he has a big salary. Do you think if he actually thrives in that six-man role with this team, he might be a long-term piece? I just think his contract's too valuable. I think you really have to look long and hard at at the deadline for who's available and how you can upgrade your team because. While he's a great piece to find, uh, I think you can find players like him. And Ty Jerome might be one right here on the roster already. So a lot of fans have been saying that. I've noticed that in the comment section at Brightside, a lot of people saying, you know, why, why try to find a new guy or why 
reshuffle the deck here. Why not just keep Tyler and have him be a, a super six man? I just think that's an easy piece to find. So as much as I think he's going to be valuable this year, I think his contract is even more valuable. No, that's a good point you bring up there. And Ty Jerome is a player who I think the Suns are really high on. They traded for him on draft night. And I think this makes a lot of sense for him to be the natural replacement for Tyler Johnson. I think the deadline, when we get closer to that, brand, it's going to be super intriguing to watch here because the Suns all of a sudden now have pieces like Tyler Johnson's contract. They have Dario Saric there. If they want to maybe do small ball with Uber and Burgess, if they want to have those two guys start, they, they have a lot of moving parts on this team that can help them be, be better by February. Yeah, Aaron Baines as well. Um, and they, they have, I think, less of an attachment to their own first-round picks than they might have in the past. So that, we talked about that a little bit over the course of previewing this season, too, that Jones is not as attached to making sure he has a top-five pick every season as this franchise was over the course of the last few years. So we could see those picks move around. We've already seen him empty the cupboard of second-rounders pretty quickly here. He might not be afraid if the right opportunity comes along to deal with a, a first round pick as well to get another good young player in this core. Yeah, this was a fun episode as well, guys. Appreciate everyone listening on today's podcast. We'll be back with you guys on Wednesday for our next episode.